Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, we're going to unravel some of the mysteries of being an effective board member. I'll be speaking with Julie Bignall. Julie is the Deputy Chair of Care Super, a Director of the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors and a Director at Austin Health. And she's formerly been a Director of the North Queensland Bulk Ports Corporations and Workplace Health and Safety Queensland. Julie's an experienced committee chair and she's chaired committees on risk, corporate governance, member and community engagement and human resources and industrial relations issues. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Julie. Thank you very much, Helia. So, Julie, before we delve into being an effective board member, we'd love to just learn a bit more about you. So I'm wondering if you can tell me what young Julie was like and when you got your first inkling that you might end up as a board director. Well, uh, young Julie grew up in a regional town in Queensland from a very working class background and I think I would not have known what a board was <laughs> until, uh, you know, high school and you start learning about these things in the citizenship education, as it was called back then. I don't think I really had an inkling at all about how organisations ran effectively until um, I got into the workforce at the age of uh, 15, 16, I guess, mm -hmm. working at Coles as a checkout chick. And I think my understanding of boards and how organisations worked really came from their lived experience of working as a worker, understanding where you were in, I think, the power structure of an organisation, your place in it and how things got done um, and how your issues got addressed. Mm -hmm. What was the first board that you saw? The first board that or, I saw? Well, saw or witnessed? In a physical sense? No, you know? no, as in, as in have a sense of. Have a sense of. Well, I think the first time I really understood the role of boards was when I went to work at uh, a company called Energex, which used to be Sequeb, the mm. old electricity distributor in mm. uh, Queensland. And I joined after there had been a really big dispute 
in Queensland and um, people will remember the 80s, the early 80s. It was a very tumultuous time in Queensland. And that sense of the disputation between the workers in that company and the way that management and the board had dealt with their issues really highlighted to me how important it was that the people who were in the decision-making roles had a way of understanding what was going on in the organisation and had a plan to deal with what happened in a crisis and what happened after a crisis with your own workforce in particular. Mm. Oh, this is meant to just be the intro, but I want to delve into that. (laughs) So what did happen with that board and their communication with the workforce, you know, before, during and after? My observation as a worker at that point was that, you know, workplace relations in that place was like an open sore. For many, many years after the dispute had been resolved and, you know, they really, to me, as as a cog in that wheel, I didn't see that there was a plan in place to re-engage with the workforce and to try to heal some of the divisions and some of the really terrible interpersonal issues that had broken out during that time. So I think, you know, that's not an example that I would say was a successful example. And I think that's probably a timing thing too. I mean, in the 80s, I think a board worked very differently to the way that boards work now. Didn't necessarily get involved in strategy, um, certainly not issues around workforce strategy and engagement with workers and even the public, really. So I I think the role of boards has changed a lot Mm. um, over the last few decades, hopefully. So you think that was more an event almost around the management of the organisation rather than the governance of the organisation? Yeah, and I think back then boards were far more likely to accept that management ran the organisation, you know, and that they were, the board was more concerned about ticking off on things from a compliance perspective, being seen to provide oversight, but I think not necessarily engaged in a way that influenced the outcome or the trajectory of the organisation in many parts of the operation. It's always an interesting line, isn't it, for boards around what is a management responsibility, Mm. what's the operation and what's the governance side. Do you have a kind of a rule of thumb about what that Mm. might be for an organisation? I think this is a constant inner debate that goes on in most directors' minds today is how far should I go in my questioning and in my request for information And it is difficult because I think as a director, you need to understand the business sufficiently that you can ask the right questions. But, you know, sometimes people get caught up on detail that is not a good good way of spending the board's time. So I think sometimes directors need to take issues offline. If you really don't understand what you're talking about, but it's an issue that's not going to affect the outcome of the conversation you're having, I have found that management are always happy to take directors through that aspect of the business so that you can have a deeper understanding. So I think it's a judgment call, not just about, do I need to understand this particular detail for the outcome of this conversation? Um, But also, do I have a right to take up the board's time 
with diving off down this particular route. Yeah. And that, I mean, judgment is, of course, a key skill for yes. board members. But judgment in one circumstance might not be the same judgment yes. in another. It's different every time, I think. And often um, you do depend on other directors or the chair of that meeting to steer it back to the key issues. In fact, one of the things I wanted to ask you about in terms of being an effective board member, given your experience as a chair, what have you seen work well from other chairs or what have you felt has worked mm-hmm. well in your role as the chair? Well, I think as I become a more experienced director, I really appreciate the value of preparation before a meeting. And when I say preparation, I don't mean looking over the agenda that management has put together and deciding on how much time you're spending on talking about things. (laughs) I'm talking about well before that meeting, talking to management and reviewing where you're up to in your, you know, your planning of your committee or or your board to make sure that the right things are on the agenda in the first place and that management understands the kind of information that is required for the members of the committee to make the decision. And if you spend a lot of time on that, it's usually worthwhile because you'll get a a really focused, productive meeting out of that as opposed to people picking holes with the way that a paper's been put together, saying to management, well, what do you really want us to do with this information? Or thanks for the information, so what? Mm -hmm. Um, How does this fit in with the role of the committee? And all of the other distractions that you you can get from not having the right structure of information in front of you. So, so my vote is for developing a good arrangement, a, a good relationship with your managers that are inputting into the committee papers first up and putting the work in as a chair to make sure that you have presented the meeting in such a way that people can do something with it. I do a lot of work as a facilitator of workshops and I feel like it's a similar role in some ways as being the chair and whenever I'm working with clients around it there is as much work that goes into a meeting or a workshop or whatever it may beforehand as there is in it and sometimes people are a little surprised by that Mm. but it's doing exactly that Mm. getting all of the information right getting the questions right Mm. getting the timing right those sorts of Mm. things. I actually do see myself more as a facilitator Mm than trying to control something. I mean, yes, of course, you have to control a meeting in a sense of making sure it's productive, but you really are trying to facilitate an outcome. And so in the running of the meeting, what are the sorts of things that you do to facilitate that engagement with the group, the board, the committee, whatever it may be? I think you need to develop a relationship with your committee members where they will accept that you might say to them sometimes, Can you rephrase that question to make it more about the strategy or the outcome we're seeking rather than a question about the detail that you've just asked, you know? So you've got to value the questions that people are asking, but you need to not allow the meeting to be taken up with questions that are probably going to take you down, you know, an alternate route and not get an outcome. And that's really hard because... Sometimes people ask questions that on the face of it might not sound like a reasonable question, but the premise behind it is valuable. And so you have to allow people enough leeway to develop their own thoughts in a meeting and to 
phrase their their concerns or their questions in a, in the right way, but you don't want to you don't want to cut people off unnecessarily either. And I think that relationship issue is very important that committee members accept that when you're trying to get the best out of them with their participation, you're not trying to shut them down. You are you're actually trying to facilitate an outcome. Yeah, and there are often different ways of processing information, different ways of asking yep. questions of people in the room yep. and somehow bringing all of that together. Yeah, I think you have to accept you're not always going to get that yeah. right, Yeah, but as long as there's goodwill around the table. Yeah, so building trust yeah. with people. How do you do that? Again, if you're a committee chair or a board chair or even just a member of the board, mm. what are some of the tips and tricks that you've done to build that relationship, that rapport and that trust with your co-directors? I think there needs to be work put into having a common expectation. Everybody has to understand the path that we're on and I think agree in a sense that they're willing to participate in a certain way. And so uh, some of the work that I've done on one of my boards lately has been participating with getting all of the chairs of our committees together and really unpacking with them how they manage the not only the dynamics of management and the committee and what people's roles ought to be, but also how to facilitate good decisions coming out of those um, committee meetings. So, again, I think it, it comes back to your willingness to put the time in mm-hmm. to engage with people and not making assumptions about what's going on in people's heads because some of the worst meetings I've been to or tried to chair have been the ones that everyone's been in a bit of a hurry and, you know, you kind of knew that someone had a niggling concern about something but you didn't put the time into mm. thinking about how that was going to be dealt with because you time is precious and you, you had a deadline or whatever. And usually those things don't work out very... Those occasions don't work out very well. Yeah. And that's hard because a lot of people these days don't have a lot of time. But when you're charged with running a meeting and getting an outcome, you really don't have the luxury of ignoring what you what you really know deep down is going to be an issue that needs to be addressed. So I know one of the other things that you feel is important around being a really effective board member and being able to discharge that role, I guess, as an effective board member is around the flow of information and yes. having effective flow of information. So can you talk to me about what that yes. means to you? Well, I think what that means to me is developing a culture, an agreement between the board and managers who are, are contributing to board papers about how information is presented. So obviously it needs to be concise and relevant but I've seen many papers where the recommendation is the board note the report. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's a 50-page paper. And so, you know, you're spending a couple of hours reading this, thinking about this, and then you go, oh, note the report. You get okay. to page 49 and they yeah. say, well, now note. Yeah. yeah, and so what am I going to do with that? What's my opportunity to contribute any of my experience to that or even ask a question, really, if you just want me to note what you're telling me, then, you know, it's kind of been a bit of a waste of time. So so I think an agreement around why information's being presented is good and chairs can help with that. But I also think requiring papers to have a purpose 
clearly set out right at the very beginning, template, page, checklist, whatever. How does this relate to our strategic plan? How does it relate to our risks? How does it relate to any other business on the agenda at the moment? And what do you want us to do with it? Um, Sometimes what management want you to do with a piece of information is not what you end up doing, of course. But I think you need to be in the right frame of mind when you start reading something too and you need to know how much time to allocate to really thinking about a paper. If it's just background material, just say it's background material. Maybe don't put it in the board pack, you know, send it separately. Um, So I think that's important but I always want to know what other things were considered. So here's the recommendation. That's fine. You've taken me through how you back that up. But uh, what else did you consider? And why were those other recommendations or were those other options discarded? And thinking about, I know you're on the board of one of the hospitals, Austin Health. Yes. And so thinking about that flow of information, can you talk me through how consumers are involved in that information flow? Just before that, what's a consumer? How do you define a consumer? Yeah, okay. Well, so this is interesting. It's a label, isn't it? And there's a bit of debate at the moment about what a consumer is or what a consumer representative is. Anywhere it's difficult to represent other people. I think in the health sector it's very difficult to tell someone that they're a representative of a particular group. So I think we're kind of starting to move away from that and considering people to be leaders, influencers rather than, or partners rather Mm. than representatives, which is quite a passive Mm. uh, one-way kind of concept when you think about it. That's the other half of consumer, rep. But uh, in, in terms of consumer, I guess, I think it's still somebody who is dependent upon a service that you're providing And again, it's a term that doesn't really pick up sufficiently, I think, on the understanding that that person's life is going to be changed by that service that you're providing. And if you are to provide a proper service to that person, they have to be involved right at the beginning in the design of that service so that their needs are actually met. Mm. It's not just a transaction, it's a collaboration, really. And that is the way that collaborative consumer engagement is heading in the public health sector and I think that's really, really exciting, Mm. fantastic and a huge amount of work is going in across the board in that and particularly at the Austin Health Service. I'm I'm very excited about being involved in, in that piece of work. And so how are they engaged in the work or in the governance work? Yeah. An example of at the Austin, how they're involved in the governance work. We have a consumer advisory committee or community advisory committee, depending on who you talk with. And recently we elevated the views of that committee into our strategic planning process through the board. So that committee is a subcommittee of the board and has a few board members on it as well as consumer and community reps. But what we decided to do was to consult during, from the very beginning during the development of the strategic plan so that when we had the final product, there was an alignment between what consumers thought was important as a whole in its entirety for the health service to be factoring in in their forward plan, but also that then the work that the consumer committee had to plan out the next five years as well, that dovetailed into the key areas that we knew their resources and thought 
we're going to be put into in the health service and that means that that committee's work can be relevant and important going forward with uh, with the entire strategic plan. Fantastic. It's so good to hear of organisations that are really engaging with their people, whoever their people might be, mm. whether it's consumers, patients, community, but really bringing that into that strategic level and the yeah. governance level. I think the, the culture at the Austin is amazing already, but continually evolving. And what's really fantastic to see is that clinicians and administrators bring their projects or their thoughts or ideas, questions to consumers first at the design phase. Mm -hmm. And pretty much all of our committees now around designing services or even infrastructure involve consumer uh, representation so that we get it right in the first place. Uh, and people in the, in the health service employed in the health service actually want to know. They actually see it as valuable. It's highly valued. You know, there's a lineup of people who want to make presentations to the consumers and get their thoughts on things. And I think that's going to result in some improved outcomes for people in the community. Shifting slightly and thinking about engagement in the boardroom and board members who are sometimes a bit more passive and sometimes a bit more engaged, I'm just wondering if you can give us some tips on getting attention in the boardroom. Yes. Well, apart from wearing the funny hat or, or um, your Richmond scarf, which I've done occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. I did get pulled up for that. <laughs> uh, look, I think it can be really intimidating when you first come onto a board because you're, you're trying to engage with a group of people that often have known each other for years and you're trying to get in sync with the vibe, the mm. vibe of the organisation, what the key issues are, and it can be really difficult to get the courage up to just ask a question, I think. What I still do even today is make sure that I do not go to a meeting without a question to ask and try to get it in in the first sort of quarter of the meeting because if you do that, people notice you and they will look at you during the meeting expecting you to say something because... If you just sit there passively, people think you're a rock. You know, they, they won't even look at you and you, you're shut out of that really vital interpersonal communication process. So I think find something to say first up, even if it's to chat in the five minutes before the meeting starts. Make sure people know you're there. I think women in particular can be a bit intimidated sometimes when, um, when there's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a fight, but, you know, when there's a robust conversation going on and um, again I think we need to push ourselves to make sure that we're relevant because most people not everyone gets paid for going to board meetings but most people get paid to go to board meetings and yeah they're on false pretenses if you think you can just read your papers and sit there like an egg for the whole meeting you really are and um, if that's all that you want to contribute then you should probably think about doing something else Find a thing that interests you on the agenda that you think that you can ask a meaningful question. And if you can't think of any meaningful questions to ask, then maybe, again, you might not have the right pair of shoes on. Oh, it's another conversation all in itself, which we won't cover today, but I would love to cover at some stage around, yeah, getting off the board. You know, when you've given your contribution, sometimes an organisation might be in a particular phase and you've made your contribution and when it's time to then mm. get off the board... Asking questions is one of those key skills for a board member and if there's nothing in there that is prompting that, it might be time to move on. Yep. 
or just having the courage and the bravery to open your mouth and ask those questions. Yes, and that might mean you say to the chair, I don't understand some of this subject matter. Can I have a bit of an induction into this subject with a couple of managers? And I've never met a chair or a CEO of an organisation that wasn't happy to accommodate a request from a particularly a new board member to induct them and give them better background so that they can participate. Indeed, sometimes those inverted commas stupid questions that get yep. asked early on are the questions that everybody else around the board table has got as well. So sometimes it's not taken offline. Yep. It's like, oh, let's deal with that now because everybody else wants to know it too. Always. And, and the other thing that I've noticed is that particularly if you're new to a board, you might ask the question that nobody else has thought about because they've kind of gotten into a little bit of a groupthink situation and it just doesn't occur to them. And when you ask that question, they it will cause people sometimes to reevaluate all of the assumptions that they've based their views on. Yeah. So it can be really valuable and a good board will really value getting those kinds of questions. Yeah, just like good management really yes. appreciates getting those good questions as well. That would much rather it than just everybody going, yep, that's fine, move on. Absolutely. We've covered a whole bunch of stuff mm. here, kind of the operational versus governance, chairing a good meeting, preparing for meetings, the flow of information, getting attention in the boardroom. What are the key takeaways that you want people to take from this conversation? I think my, my key objective would be to say to people, value your contribution, value the questions that you have to ask. You don't have to have the answers to those questions when you ask them. You're not required to have the answers before the conversation. You're required to be able to ask questions to come up with an outcome. And that will be a collective outcome. So it's not on you to walk into a board meeting with a fixed view. It's on you to think about the breadth of the discussion and how you can contribute and form your view during the meeting based on the conversation and the key points that come out of it. So value your contribution, I think, is important. I think the other thing I would say is respect a diversity of views. If you're in a meeting and everybody agrees, I think that's a problem. Sometimes on simple issues, it'll, it'll, you know, the solution will be clear. But other times, if, ever, if nobody's asking or presenting any different information, I think that's a problem. And particularly if you're only getting information from management from a particular perspective, you have to say, where else could we get information to provide us with context on this decision? Have we really got all the information in front of us? And... This is highlighted to me through my work with consumers particularly and work in member-based organisations. Yes, you, you can't survey everybody on everything. We're not in Switzerland. But, you know, there's got to be an adequate amount of research put into your decision-making process and particularly the demographic that it affects, you've got to think about. And I think this is an issue that we see even in politics at the moment, you know, uh, when you look at issues like a women's budget, you know, or running a lens over a policy to say, OK, uh, how does this policy affect this particular demographic? And people jump up and down and say, oh, you can't do that. You know, this is meant to apply to everybody. But society is diverse and you're making decisions about all sorts of people. And when you're on a board, you're doing the same thing. So if your decision is only geared towards a particular demographic, then you're not doing the right thing by the people that rely on your service 
nor are you doing the right thing on the basis of your shareholders. So I'm wondering if you've got a resource that you'd like to share with the community, a podcast, a book, a TED Talk, what might be something you'd recommend for the Take On Board community to, to have a look at? It's not exciting and many people have already read it, I think, but the Prudential Inquiry into the CBA, I think, is mandatory reading for all directors, whether you're in a for-profit, not-for-profit, whatever industry you're in, I think you should read it because the way that the issues have been set out and particularly how the flow of information gets to board members and what are the expectations on directors um, when you're making decisions, I think has been put out in an extremely useful, effective way. It's not hard to read. Mm. Um, it's not that long either. It's categorised by issues. So uh, you can you can just read the stuff that you're interested in. But mm. I, I think it's one of the most effective pieces of information that I've seen for a long time. Excellent. I'll make sure I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Excellent. And finally, being a good board member, I think, is taking on different actions. So what are two or three actions you can suggest for our listeners to take on to be a more effective board member? Hmm. I think diary management is really important. The worst thing you can do is get to the day before a board meeting and realise that you haven't finished reading your board papers Mm -hmm. (laughs) or you haven't had time to think about it. So diary management with a view to leaving enough time, not just to read the papers, but to think about it. Because often, and this is my second tip, often you've got questions that you can ask before you get to the meeting. And if you don't ask them before the meeting in some way, shape or form and just email management and say, can you give me, you know, mm. X, Y, Z, you're going to end up coming to the meeting without the full information. You'll have a question in your head and it might be a question about detail that you think is not sufficient to raise in the meeting because you think it might make you look silly or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you don't ask it. And, and so you put in a situation where you kind of end up going with the flow rather than having all the information you need. So... My other tip is get the information that you need if you think you can before the meeting. So when Mm. you turn up, you do have all of the information. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your time today and sharing all those pearls of wisdom with our community and sharing a bit of a history of governance from the 80s through to now. (laughs) Fantastic to hear. Now everyone knows how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hi there. It's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.